Welcome to the Maria Liberati Show, where food meets art, travel, and life. So what does food mean to you? Well, this week, we're celebrating National Book Lovers Day, which is coming up on August 9th. And my special guest is Carol Orange, who is an art expert and an author, and she'll be talking about her latest book, and we'll also talk about ways to celebrate National Book Lovers Day, and I'll be sharing an excerpt from my new book, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking Diary Seasons, so stay with me. So coming up is National Book Lovers Day, and as mentioned, I wanted to share with you some ways that I've heard from listeners on how they're going to share National Book Lovers Day. And maybe you can also share with us if you have any other ideas, you know, hashtag the Maria Liberati show and share with us any other ways that you're celebrating National Book Lovers Day. So you can organize a book exchange, host a book club, go to the library, treat yourself to a new book, plan a National Book Lovers Party, or read to children. So that is about six different ways you can celebrate National Book Lovers Day. And as mentioned, if you have any other ideas, because it's coming up on August 9th, please share with us, hashtag it, the Maria Liberati Show, and place on social media or on the website for the MariaLiberatiShow.com. And as promised, in honor of National Book Lovers Day, here is another excerpt from my latest book, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking, Diaries, and it's subtitled Seasons because each chapter represents a season and each chapter has diary entries from that season. And as I've always mentioned, this book is from the diaries that I kept while I was living in Italy creating the basic art of Italian cooking books and my TV series. So the excerpt that I'm reading is in the summer chapter and it's titled My Life in Food Tuscan Staycation Picnic. The Mona Lisa, a bottle of Chianti and day old bread. My idea of the perfect picnic in Tuscany that is. Picnic season is here and no one does it better than the Tuscans from an elegant yet simple buffet table in the rustic style who can refute that they're that they've turned simplicity into an art and a science I feel like I'm the only person on earth who isn't in a frenzy hurrying to barbecue now that Memorial Day and 4th of July has come and gone. Is it some kind of Pavlovian dog signal that sets off once summer arrives? Time to take out hot dogs and hamburgers. Break out the barbecue. It's the same old boring fare. Maybe my differing take on Memorial Day comes from living a transatlantic lifestyle. Caught between Italy and the United States, Tuscany is never far from my heart or mind. Even if I'm not not always there in body. The Tuscans seem to have invented the very idea of the casual yet elegant, simple yet sophisticated picnic. Grilling is part of summer fare, but where else could day old bread be so chic? Used as a panzanella salad, 
It's an uber tasty treat along with Tuscan olive oil, fresh tomatoes, fresh basil, and paired with a glass of Chianti. But you don't need to go to Tuscany to eat Tuscan. Try a Tuscan staycation at home and create the same relaxed feeling. Try a rustic vase with sunflowers, brightly colored plates. Avoid a tablecloth to simplify your setting and hope for a really sunny day. Make this a summer to picnic in style. To quote Leonardo da Vinci, that famous Tuscan who practically invented the Tuscan lifestyle, simplicity is an art. So here's my recipe for a Tuscan panzanella salad to complete your Tuscan staycation. 12 slices of day-old crusty bread, four tablespoons of white wine vinegar, one cup of extra virgin olive oil, and it should be extra virgin cold press, a half a pound of red ripe tomatoes, one red onion, one fresh cucumber, one handful of basil leaves, and a pinch of salt. And don't forget some freshly ground black pepper. Slice the bread into 12 slices. Place the bread in a bowl with a quarter cup of water and one tablespoon of vinegar. Leave for three minutes. Remove and squeeze the water out from the bread. Place the wet bread slices on the bottom of the salad bowl. Top the bread with tomato slices, slice cucumber, slice red onion, drizzle in the olive oil, the vinegar, pinch of salt, freshly grated black pepper, and toss gently. And the trick for this Tuscan panzanella salad is that the bread has to be really crusty, day-old bread so that it won't get overly soggy when you soak it in the water and vinegar. The other recipe to add to your Tuscan staycation is grilled porcini mushrooms. So you're going to need eight large porcini mushroom caps, two cloves of garlic, one handful of fresh parsley, four tablespoons of extra virgin cold pressed olive oil, salt and freshly ground black pepper to taste. Clean the mushroom caps gently with a wet paper towel. Do not wash them underwater, but clean them delicately with a damp paper towel. Chop the fresh parsley and garlic together. Place the mushroom caps, olive oil, chop uh, parsley, garlic, salt, and pepper to taste to marinate in a bowl for about three minutes. Turn over and marinate for another three minutes. Place on a hot grill for about 10 minutes, about five minutes on each side or until tender, and serve immediately with your panzanella salad. Okay, so, you know, we're getting ready for, um, I, I just love books. I don't know how my listeners feel. I'm hoping everybody loves books. Books are so, you know, they're, it's, a, it's a great way to transport you anywhere, learn about anything. And we're getting ready for August 9th is actually National Book Lovers Day. And I have on um, 
Today we have on Carol Orange, who is the author of such an incredible book. It is just so interesting, um, especially for art lovers, but really for, for anyone, such an interesting and incredible story. Um, it's called A Discerning Eye, but Carol has an interesting background herself in the art world. She's an expert. So I'm going to welcome you, Carol, Carol Orange, to my show, to the Marie Liberati Show. And Carol, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Maria, for having me on. Yes, my background is in both art history and in English. I studied at Cornell University and I fell in love with the art world when I was there taking um, art history courses. Uh -huh. After I graduated, I was really fortunate. I had this great job in London uh -huh. working on a book of Spanish art. Mm -hmm. with a man named Xavier de Salas. He was uh -huh. then the attache at the cultural, at the embassy in London, the Spanish embassy. He uh -huh. later became the director of the Prado Museum. So imagine oh how lucky I was. Oh, yes. Senor de Salas. So I learned so much about art history from him. Uh -huh. And I then um, had a gallery in Boston for many years. Uh -huh. So when the robbery happened at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which is such a gem of a museum, uh -huh. I mean, it was my favorite place to go to when I lived in Boston for 30 uh -huh. years. Uh -huh. So I you know, thought about who, who could have done such an absolutely horrible thing because it deprives the people uh -huh. of 13 magnificent works of art. You know, what, one of them is Vermeer's The Concert, and there are only 36 Vermeer's in the oh, world. Wow. I want to just, and, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to tell our listeners, in case they don't know, this A Discerning Eye is about this unbelievable theft of these 13 works of art. I didn't really mention that. So I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, Vermeer okay. was one of them. Yes. Yes. So Vermeer was probably the jewel of the 13 that were stolen because it's so rare. It's also such a gorgeous painting. Wow. And Isabella Gardner bought it mm -hmm. uh, at an auction in Paris for mm -hmm. $6,000 uh -huh. at the time. Vermeer actually was not well known at that time, but she fell in love with the painting. And of uh -huh. course, it's absolutely priceless right oh. now. Uh -huh. So I, I, as an art dealer, um, was so angry and uh -huh. also as a Boston resident oh, about yes. this. And I started putting together some thoughts about what might have happened because right. the thieves were in the museum uh -huh. for 81 minutes, uh -huh. which is unheard of. Wow. Usually in art thefts, thieves rush in and grab what's closest to the door, uh -huh. but that didn't happen at the Gardner. They tied up the night guards oh who were gosh. Berkeley music students, oh and gosh. they had the run of the place for 81 minutes, and oh they could have stole 
anything. Yes. But they chose these 13 art objects. And uh -huh. I, I believe there was a mastermind. The thieves were, were just henchmen for the mastermind. And they yeah. did a you know pretty terrible job. Yes. They cut the paintings out of the frames. Oh, um, my gosh. You know, they, they just sort of grab things, but I think they were working from a laundry list. Um, so my protagonist is an art dealer uh, and she analyzes all 13 art objects and uh -huh. she finds an underlying theme, which is the tension between dark and light. Oh. And from that, she puts together a psychological profile of the thief. You know, she says that the thief is, you know, the light side is very confident, mm -hmm. very, um, very uh, wonderful. Right. And the dark side is someone who is really greedy and yeah. believes that they deserve whatever they can grab hold of. Right. And so the tension in the paintings is reflected in the personality of the thief. Um, in the novel, uh -huh. the, she comes into contact with the FBI. She's introduced to them uh -huh. and they are very taken with her, um, her analysis and uh -huh. her profiling. And in real life, the uh -huh. FBI actually never analyzed uh, the 13 stolen objects. Uh -huh. It's like, how could the thieves have stolen three Degas drawings when right next to them was a priceless drawing by Michelangelo? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's like, you know, they did steal, you know, the Vermeer, which is priceless, and they right. stole some Rembrandts. Right. But, you know, it's like the one of the jewels of the Gardner collection uh -huh. is Titian's Rape of Europa, uh -huh. which is in on the third floor, and they could have easily gone Not to the that. third floor and taken right. that. Right, but, right. Um, Isabella Gardner hired the leading Italian Renaissance scholar at the uh -huh. time named Bernard Berenson. Uh -huh. And he helped her put the Italian Renaissance collection together. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. in actual fact, if we're just looking at money versus yes. uh, art, mm -hmm. um, the Italian Renaissance paintings are even more valuable, valuable. than the paintings that were stolen from the Dutch room. Wow. So the content of the uh -huh. paintings uh -huh. had to have some meaning for the hypothetical thief. thief. And, and can you uh, just tell us, Carol, too, because not everybody's familiar with the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. That has a really interesting story. Can you just give us a little bit of background on that? On, on the museum itself? Yes, on the museum okay. where this, this, this theft took place. Okay, so the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is on the Fenway in Boston. It's uh -huh. right across the street from Simmons University, which is where I got my MBA, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, you know, near um, the Museum of Fine Arts. It's uh -huh. near the Museum Art School. It's just, um, it's part of the Emerald 
necklace of the Fenway area right. that um, Franklin Law Olmsted designed for Boston. Mm -hmm. So Isabella Gardner was um, a traveler and a collector. Mm -hmm. And she loved Venice. So the Gardner Museum is designed like a Venetian palace. Yeah. It looks very austere on the uh -huh. outside. Uh -huh. But if you walk inside, you, your breath will be taken away because it's um, these pink walls Wow. that have nasturtiums streaming uh -huh. down. It has a courtyard with all kinds of gorgeous flowering plants oh and goodness. ancient Italian sculptures. It, uh -huh. is, it is a masterpiece. Yes. And it, you know, I've taken so many people there over the uh -huh. years uh -huh. and they are just stunned, yes. not only at the beautiful building, but mm -hmm. at the quality of the art collection. Right. Yes. So yes. Isabella, in her day, mm -hmm. was considered a rebel uh -huh. by the other Boston matrons who were much more uh, society matrons who were much uh -huh. more conservative. Uh -huh. um, she was a risk taker. Mm -hmm. She um, <laughs> she would wear um, uh, she would wear uh, a banner that said, go you Red Sox, when she went to the Fenway. Uh -huh. She would dress up um, uh, when she went to see, you know, the baseball team. Right. But when she went to the Brighton Roadway, which was a place where horses were raced, she would dress up in ermine and silk with flowers in her hair. She was quite something. Yes. And in, in my novel, uh -huh. um, protagonist who is an art dealer right um has a um relationship with isabella gardner it's not real it's imagined Imagine. uh -huh. she she isabella gardner is her idol uh -huh. and so she joins isabella on the um you know, on the raceway and she uh -huh. gets into her carriage and she has a discussion with her about uh -huh. Degas. Uh -huh. And um, Isabella says, I don't care, Miss Portia, just get those paintings back. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of fun write, yeah, writing, writing this, this book. So tell me, did the, and I didn't get to read, you know, I read a synopsis of everything, but did the uh or are we giving away too much if we say did they ever recover these paintings that were stolen in real life they have not yet recovered them oh no, my gosh it's been 32 years and they have oh. not yet recovered them oh um, my goodness it's really really sad and no one has ever like found any of those paintings anywhere, like on the market somewhere, or someone trying to auction them off or anything? You, you really can't. They're too well known. So uh -huh. they, they could not be auctioned. Right. They're, they're, they're too well known. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, the thing, my fantasy in, in my novel. Yes. They are returned. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in my novel, the heroine, Portia Malatesta. Uh-huh. Uh, works with the FBI and Interpol. Uh-huh. And um, sh sh they get the paintings back. Yes. 
Yes. Um, because that's my wish. Right, right. <laughs> my greatest, yes. greatest wish. Wow. Um, my fantasy is that they are in someone's uh, house somewhere. Right. You know, that, that, and, you know, this definitely is a realistic possibility. This has yes. happened before. Oh. Um, you know, fairly recently in Germany, the son of Hitler's major um, art dealer, when uh-huh. Hitler was stealing lots of art from Jewish families in yes. Europe, yes. Um, he had a collection of his father's art that uh-huh. was stolen. And so it's now being returned to the original owners. The original owners. So it's not inconceivable right. that the art would be in someone's home. Someone's home. Yes. And I just said, you know, because I'm thinking somebody that would steal like that, they can't have too much sense. You know, they steal and then they may, you know, try to think that they're going to get money or something and they just stupidly try to auction it off. But I mean, if you have a little bit of sense, right, you know, it's they're too famous to try and auction off. But you're that would be the only other reason I would think somebody just wants them in their home, you know, other than the the monetary value is getting them in their home. Right. They want it for their own Yes. Reasons. And, you know, Hitler and Goring. Right. um, That's what they did during, you know, World War Two. They were amassing this huge collection, each of them. Uh And, you know, they were the worst examples. But this kind of um, stealing art because you love art and you feel that you deserve it. Uh-huh. Um, and that you shouldn't have to go the ordinary route to get uh-huh. it uh-huh. is not a new story. It's something uh-huh. that's happened before. Uh-huh. Um, you know, when when thieves steal something, as I said, just for the monetary value, they just right. grab what's closest to the door and run. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, you know, this this was a very well thought out plan because whoever um, was behind it, the mastermind Mm -hmm. knew that the gardener had weak security in the evenings. And so they put together this plan and they had, as I said, a shopping list because they could have, they could have chosen, um, you know, lots of other art that was, really valuable and magnificent um, because Isabella had, she had, she's the one with a discerning eye. (laughs) She had lots of money, but what made her different was her eye. Uh She could buy something while she was traveling and Uh it would turn out to be a masterpiece. Wow. You know, she did that with Japanese scrolls. She Mm -hmm. did that with all kinds of, you know, Chinese artifacts. She uh-huh. did that certainly in Venice, which was, yes. as I said, her favorite place in the world. Yes. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, you're absolutely right. They, they must have had a laundry list and had it well planned out because if not, you would think they would just grab whatever they could near the nearest exit and just make a run for it. But uh, this, this, these people, whoever, it's just amazing though. It was 32 years ago, did you say? Right, um, right. It happened March 18th, 1990. Oh it was, God. you know, March 17th um, uh -huh. is a big holiday in Boston. It's yes. St. Patrick's Day, but yes. this happened at 1.30 in the morning. So whoever planned it knew that the police would be tied up oh, yes. with the real police would be yes. tied up with brawls. But the faux police, the police who um, got the um, night guards to let them in, mm -hmm. they were disguised as Boston policemen. And they got in by saying there's a disturbance in the neighborhood and we need to get in. And the guards you know, let them in, which was really not too smart. Yeah. But, oh my yeah. goodness. Oh my yeah. goodness. Wow. So, yeah. What an incredible story. So Carol, tell us, um, tell my readers where, or my listeners, not readers, <laughs> listeners, where they can find this book and where they can find more information about you. Do you have a website that they can? I do. To? I have a website. It's yes. www.carolorange.com. They can find the book anywhere uh -huh. books are sold. Great. It's in bookstores. Um, it's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, there's also an audio version, which I'm very proud of because oh, wow. it's narrated by the actor Campbell Scott. Wow. And his wife, Kathleen McElfresh. And, um, you know, Campbell is someone whom I know, and he's not only a superb actor. Yes. But he's a wonderful person. So yes. I was so thrilled that oh, that's, ex that's exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a great read or you can even listen to it, you know, where when you're on the beach, a lot of times you want something to read or or just outside enjoying, you know, the summertime. So it's a really beautiful book to uh, to read and celebrate National Book Lovers Day. Thanks so much, Carol Orange. And it's a discerning eye. And uh, you can go to Carol's website. Are you on any social media, Car Carol? Can we find Yes, you? I okay. am. I'm on um, Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on um, Facebook, of course. And yes. my um, nine-year-old granddaughter just made a TikTok video. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I have That's to tell you, I'm so proud of it. Because she decided this is what she wanted to do. Uh -huh. And it is, she's talented. She's wow. really talented. Wow. She synced it to a K-pop song. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's wonderful. I know my nieces make up a lot of my videos and things, too. And they do it so quickly, you know. They just yeah. do it yeah. quickly, where with me, it might take me years to do. They just, you know, they know how to do that. That's great. Well, we'll definitely have to look for that, for that video. Thanks again so much, Carol, for being here. And much success with the book, A Discerning Eye by Carol Orange. 
Thanks for listening to the Maria Liberati Show. And thanks, as always, to my producer, Britton Roselle, and this week's guest, Carol Orange. And also, you can find the excerpt of my book, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking, diaries seasons actually the excerpt that i just read you can find that in that book the basic art of italian cooking diaries seasons and you can also look for a book that i didn't write but i was the translator translated from italian to english it's a book by award-winning italian journalist laura donadani if you like wine It's a really interesting book. It's called How Wine Can Change Lives. And I had the honor of translating the book from Italian into English. And uh, it's made up of very interesting stories. And uh, if you like reading about Italian family wineries, the small wineries in, in Italy and more, you'll you'll really enjoy the book as well and that's called how wine can change change lives and uh by laura donadani translated by maria liberati and again my book the basic art of italian cooking diaries seasons it's my diary that you get to read my memoirs with recipes from my life in italy And as always, you can find me on Facebook at Chef Maria Liberati, on Instagram at Maria Liberati, on Twitter at Maria Liberati, on my blog, marialiberati.com, on my Roku channel, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking by Maria Liberati, on my Vimeo channel, uh, Maria Liberati, and let's see, on Pinterest, at Maria Liberati. You can find my book series, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking, on artoflivingprimamedia.com. That's the publisher's website. And really anywhere books are sold, but you can also find them on my website at marialiberati.com. And until next time, peace, love, and pasta. Pasta.